Welcome back to Ebb and Flow Radio. This is Steven Jaggers. I'm your host. Wow, people, this conversation was one of the most powerful and potent conversations I've ever had the pleasure being a part of. Um, it is with a dear brother of mine, Grant Iflander. He was actually on episode number one, so if you want to tune back and listen to that one, or just tune into this one because, wow, um, a little background on this talk. Grant just got out of a 40-day solitude retreat, 40-day retreat. Um, That's six weeks of being alone, practicing every day. Um, He just continues to amaze me at uh, putting himself in a place of experiential learning and really able to integrate and explain what those practices are doing for him and why we need a, you know, similar to what my my buddy Sam was talking about, a self-inquiry practice, why we need that self-practice. And and we get into so much on this conversation that uh, around trauma, and how when we have certain traumas, you know, not not huge traumas, just little traumas or, or even habits, how that we continue to create the same pattern in our life over and over and over again. And we go into how to how to repattern the trauma so we can create a life, you know, in harmony that a life that we really are looking for. So just tune in. This conversation was absolutely, <laughs> I'm still integrating from it as well. So I think you guys will enjoy. Um, please, if you guys get a chance, leave me a review on the iTunes or the Spotify so I can get blessed up by the algorithmic gods that rule this technological world. It's much appreciated. Well, I love you guys. Enjoy. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, What's dude. it like to be alive, brother? <laughs> it feels... Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess we have nothing to compare it to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so true. <laughs> yeah. Not at this point. <laughs> It feels good to be um, part of something mm. that you've created, or just like part of the greater existence of. Well, aren't humanity. we creating the greater existence? Yes, <laughs> I think we're being created, though. Too. There's both of that. Yeah. I mean, we could argue that for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right. I think we're we're both creating and being created. Yeah. <laughs> it was so crazy to uh just hug you after yeah. you So Grant has just gotten out of a 40-day Vipassana, would you call it that? No. 40-day retreat. Mhm. Silence. Mhm not talking to anybody, seeing anybody, 
just him and himself doing his practices. And if you listen to episode one of my podcast, um, you will hear kind of the intention that he had going into it. <clears throat> Maybe you can speak about that just a little bit. The intention? Or just what made you want to go into this 40-day retreat? Yeah, well, that ties in with everything, really. Um, Or take it wherever you want to go, man. (laughs) Yeah, dude, well... So I think that inside of life is inherently an impulse to grow and evolve. Like, I think everything possesses that that impulse. Mm. And it's kind of like if you... I mean, because if we could just observe life in the cosmos, in the universe, in everything that we can observe, especially living beings, like life forms, biological life, there is something that's propelling it towards advancement or growth or whatever we want to call it. And I I feel like that impulse emerges in everybody's life in various ways. Mm. And I feel like every human knows that very intimately. And that impulse is like, in mythology, they, it's known as Eros. In Greek mythology, yeah. Eros. It's like the drive, the desire, and and the the desire to know oneself really is, is that that's the root of it because what else, why else would we get up in the morning and go and face the day? You know, what drives us and motivates us to actually do something challenging, you know? And why, why is it that when we're completely comfortable, we feel attention? We feel, we feel dead almost. Yeah. We don't feel alive. We don't feel alive. Yeah. Why is that? Like, so that, that, that question has been on my mind for many years. And I feel like my exploration into spiritual practices is rooted in that, that impulse. I feel like every human's, um, spiritual quest is rooted in that impulse. In fact, I feel like that impulse goes back to the beginning of time. It's like the ripple of the cosmos. When the, when the one became many and tried to return to the one, that process of returning to the one is the self-discovery process, is the spiritual process. It is the quest into the unknown. Because anytime we reconcile or we discover something, when we venture out into the unknown and reach for the thing that's unseen. Every time we actually do that, we find out a little more about who we are and we, we get a little closer or we develop a relationship to the infinity that's birthing us, the thing that's creating us. Right? Yes. So our, our, um, we're being created, but we're also creating and that, that dynamic, that interplay between those, the creator and the created I believe is the that is the mystical journey that is the spiritual journey that is the hero's journey that is the the 
The quest for growth. The quest for growth. And everybody has it. I feel like everybody has it. Everybody has this sense or this longing or this innate drive to become. It's like this... I thought about this a lot and this is derived from some of the teachings of a of a really awesome modern spiritual teacher named Thomas Hubel. Oh yeah, I'm familiar. Dude, he's he really breaks it down and talks about becoming and belonging. And those are like the two um the intersection. Mhm, because life inherently needs a stability, a structure to exist and that's that manifests as our ego. Our ego is the structure for by which um, the free cosmic energy that animates us can actually arrange itself into something. Mm, the structure, the mm-hmm. pattern, the pattern, exactly. It's the paternal, the pattern, exactly. And that's yeah. the ego, right? The ego is a structure. It's a container for yourself, for your personality. But that ego is constantly in attention with becoming. And in order to become anything, you have to overcome your old self. And we're doing that on small levels every day, but we're doing it on bigger and bigger levels whenever we, we take a new leap into the unknown or we have those big, those big moments of turning points in life that are like, shit, I got to do this. I don't know why. I don't know why, but I have to take the leap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so to go back and answer your question the impulse arose within me to do this retreat last summer. I didn't, I like, like June, June, 2019 ish. I don't know if that's exactly right, but somewhere around there. And I just, I received the download. Like we talk about downloads, especially in like the spiritual mm. community. I got this download. It's like, where did the download come from? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And is it an inload? It's an inload or an upload, <laughs> or, upload or, or, or a reload or I don't know. But I got it. I got something emerged within me and was basically, it was a vague. And I feel like a lot of downloads happen like this initially. Like they appear as far off images. And the more we lean into them, the, clo- the, the sharper the resolution becomes. Mm. And I just knew, like, it emerged as a knowing. It's like, I have to go and do some sort of retreat. I have to go do this thing. Do this thing for my 30th birthday, because I just turned 30 on Friday, two days ago. Happy birthday, brother. Thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I I knew that for my birthday, as a birthday present to myself, (laughs) I was going to do a vision (laughs) quest or something, you know? Like, I was just going to go and be alone wiped clean Mm -hmm. and so as that date approached um i met some really uh important people and and those and i had some really like profound experiences leading up to the choice to go on a 40-day retreat and those those experiences in my life just such as opening Bridge the Gap Yoga, the yoga studio that we currently run out of my home back in Chandler, um, and like slowly building this amazing community of people and practitioners and just having a lot of experiences of, of um, deep reflections of mm-hmm. myself, right? And like showing me where I'm at, you know, because when you, when you grow, you have a now, you have a new boundary and you have new reflectors and new mirrors and you're like, whoa. 
And so like slowly all of that, all of the life changes and the, the acceleration of my last years of 29, um, crystallized into like this, damn, I have to go and do 40 days of solitude ASAP. Like that, that's what I'm going to give myself for my 40th birthday or 30th birthday. From what I heard you express to me before going in, it was like you had spent time in such a, such a powerful expansion in your life. You know, you expanded, you created this community, you created this, you birthed this, this baby bridge the gap yoga community more than that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, wow, if I want to take my growth to the next level, I need to go inward mm-hmm. and I need to, to have that contraction phase. Mm-hmm. For sure. Cause I realized that like <clears throat> 2019 was the biggest year of my life, you know? And I feel like each year subsequently, if we're, really serious about our spiritual growth and we're taking our practices and um, listening to those impulses seriously, mm-hmm. then each year will subsequently be the, the bigger year, right? Yeah. And so like, it just accelerates. It just gets bigger and faster. And, and so 2019 was like that for me. It was like this huge expansion and I was like, Oh, I can't believe that all this happened. This is a, this was really a, um, a powerful growth phase for me. And, and, and then I thought about like what 2020 was going to bring and I was like, Oh shit, I gotta, (laughs) I gotta prepare, you know, I gotta like really get my shit together, you know? And, and, and cause I feel like, you know, whether or not we think our shit's together there's areas that we can refine you know? there's leakages in <laughs> there's the... leakages man it's like <laughs> there's always gonna be these <laughs> dimensions of ourself that we can polish a little bit and i feel like that's the joy like that's that's, that's the beauty of the human existence mm-hmm. if you look at it that way totally yeah like <clears throat> I, why would we want to stop you know and and that was one of the things that i realized in my retreat was like damn, I'm in this for the long haul. <laughs> Especially on like the first, in, in a microcosmic way, on the first day is like day three, day four, like these are long days. These are man. long oh, days. Yeah. I, I got, got to day I got, four and I'm like 10% of the way, you know, you're like you're celebrating like, fuck. those little like micro trophies of you know, you're running a marathon, you pass the first mile marker, you're like, all right, one down. So, but yeah, it was, it was a... <clears throat> It was a big uh, year. Last year, 2019, was a big year. And, and um, I don't know, that the desire to go inward was really strong and pulling me. And and, um, and it was just time, you know. It was time for me to do something, I guess, um, <laughs> more higher intensity or whatever. Yeah, there's just a, a longing in me to, like, really do that and... And, uh, and so I followed it and it was intense. <laughs> it was intense. <laughs> yeah, it was, in- <laughs> it was intense. So what was, uh, let's talk about the experience a little bit. 
Yeah, sure. Where do you want to start? I know. I remember, you know, like what you were talking about this morning. So, so I'll I'll tell you a little bit. So, Grant was staying at a place a few miles away from my house. Just got out this morning. Came straight here. So, I'm assuming the amount of integration time is probably <laughs> going to go on for a while. Yes, what's what's fresh right now? What's I think we underestimate the spiritual power of a conversation and like relating and, and interacting. Mm. And, um, I say that because being alone for any length of time <clears throat> is challenging <clears throat> merely for the fact that you have, um, Well, I don't really know. Like, there's so many different reasons that being alone can challenge us. And for me personally, being alone, like, the first three weeks was not a big deal. I was actually enjoying it. I was content. Um, there was a lot of feel-good moments. Um but like around day 20 or so, it started just to get uncomfortable. It started to, um, started to really challenge me. And, and maybe I can just give you like a logistical breakdown of what my days look like and that we can unpack from there. Yeah. So I arrived to this place on January 14th, which was a Tuesday. And I had like a little opening ceremony and, and did some. Um, this was all alone by yourself? Mm-hmm. Opening ceremony, yeah. Mm-hmm. And before I went into my retreat, I had talked to like, like I mentioned a few of the people to you before we turn this on about um, like the people I consider teachers mm. who, who I, uh, to me, they're like just people who've demonstrated proficiency and spiritual practice or, or some level of attainment. Like there's an energy that you can feel with these people that, that is, um, beyond the intellect, beyond the rational mind. And, and I've had the blessing of meeting a couple of these people in my life and spending time with them and, and practicing with them and learning from them. And so I reached out to, um, a few of these people and, and just told them what my intention was and, and asked for any advice that they had. And, <clears throat> and, uh, so that like gave me some guidelines going in cause I'm going on a 40 day retreat. I've never done anything like that in my life. You know, I, I have my personal yoga practice and meditation practice, which I've been consistent with for over five years now. And, and I have an idea of what I'm going to do, you know, I'm just going to practice a bunch, but outside of that, I, is there anything I need to know? You know, like, I feel like, I feel like there's probably some pieces (laughs) of like really important stuff that, that help you make it through. (laughs) Yeah. And so, you know, I talked to these people and they gave me some really great advice and some simple things too, like make sure you eat enough food. Um, don't drive yourself nuts, like basic stuff. And so, 
and I had and I had like a little technical discussion with a, um, another friend of mine who did nine mo- a nine month retreat and who was following a relatively similar system of practices that I myself have followed and and so to give you an idea and anyone listening what what that was I I went into the retreat planning on doing the practices that I'm that I know work that I've been doing because if you change anything up radically on a retreat it can be less effective completely you know and so like I was going in with um, a set of asanas that I'm very familiar with and that I, that I continue to refine, um, a set of breathing practices that I've known and, and developed, uh, proficiency with over the years and, um, meditation techniques that I know work to help take me inward. And so that was like the, the, the basic structure of each practice session was asanas, physical postures mm-hmm. pranayama breathing exercise meditation and at at home leading up to the retreat i was and have been doing anywhere between one and two practices a day for since 2016 before 2016 i was practicing daily but i wasn't doing these same the same the same structure and so I'm very familiar with the structure by now. I'm very familiar with techniques such as spinal breathing. Like I'm really, and I got really comfortable with that practice, especially. And we'll talk more about it because I feel like spinal breathing is something everybody should be doing. Um, yeah. So spinal breathing was like the core practice around which everything else was layered. And I was doing some chanting and some mantra and japa Japa, mantra japa so repeating mantra on like a on a mala bead mm. and uh, I, was, I was doing a little exploration and experimentation outside of that but basically I took what I was doing at home and I just doubled the amount that I was doing on retreat and so I started I would practice when I woke up I'd practice at midday and I'd practice at sunset and it started off with an hour for each practice session. So in the morning I would do my asanas, I would do my spinal breathing pranayama, I would do my meditation, and then I would rest, and then I would take a walk, and then I'd come home, I would drink some tea, I started drinking coffee, which was like amazing. I talked about just <laughs> the joy of like having, pleasures, yeah. having something that was like outside of the the ascetic, like yeah. monk minded approach, um, helped me a lot. Mm. And, uh, so I'd drink coffee and then I would journal, I would contemplate, I would just sit there and think and reflect and feel. And then I would, uh, have breakfast at 10, 10 AM and I would eat, I ate the same thing every day. What was it? <laughs> Oatmeal with dates and ghee. <laughs> Classic crit. Classic crit. It was, it was, so that was my 10 a.m. breakfast. Oatmeal with Solid. dates and ghee. Sometimes I did rice. I would change it up to rice instead of oatmeal. Um, and then I would read, hang out, practice again at midday. Um, sometimes I would spend time outside 
uh, during midday and just get some sun. And then I would rest and just chill until my evening practice, which I would usually start around four, depending on when the sun set, I would mm-hmm. practice and then my practice would finish and I'd be able to take a walk and watch the sunset. So mm-hmm. I planned that. Um, and then I would have dinner at six and dinner was mung beans, rice and potatoes and ghee. And sometimes I, <laughs> it was funny cause I, I brought like the exact amount of food that I, I thought I needed. But then I found out, like, midway through. We always need more. I was like, shit, dude, I'm going to run out. Like, what am I going to do? And then I messaged you, and I was like, dude, please hook me up with this, this, and this. Here's my address. That's how you did. Thank you for that. It made me so happy that you reached out. (laughs) It made me so happy. I can't even tell you, man. It was, like, life-saving. And, uh, yeah, so I'd have dinner, mung beans, rice, and potatoes, sweet potatoes. And then I would... um, either rest, read. I started watching a movie at night. Like I would just watch some film and you had access to a movie. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. I had, I had my computer with me, which I was doing some writing on and and other research, but, uh, yeah, I would stream a, stream a movie and sometimes I'd just cry. I would like just be (laughs) so emotional and and just feeling the movie and enjoying the movie. And and uh, I didn't do that for like the first couple weeks. I would just be in silence at mm. the end of the night. Um, but I realized I was like reading so much. I would read for like five hours a day, you know. I'd practice, write, journal, read. What walk. were you reading? <sighs> I read the Bible. I read um, some of the Upanishads, which are a collection of yogic scriptures. I read uh, the Yoga Sutras. I read a few other like yoga-related books and, and some biographies and autobiographies of yogis and saints. Um, I can't remember the exact... Lahiri Mahesh, Maheshwaya can never say his last name. Mm-hmm. He's one of the original like Kriya yogi, yogi people in the lineage of Yogananda, at least. Um, apprentice of the Himalayan yoga master. Uh, a few fictional novels. I read some Michael Crichton. There were some books like in the cabin I was staying, like on the shelf, so I read some of those. Um, a few other Tom Robbins I read some of his stuff he's an amazing author yeah I read uh, quite a few books probably 15 maybe wow yeah so you were taking in for about five hours a day reading Mm mm-hmm and then I just thought I was like man I'm reading too much I feel like I feel like I should just like rest or watch a movie, you know, and so I started watching the movie, and then it actually kind of tune out a little bit with the movie, or just like tune in. Like I was like fully like lit feeling like and just mm. getting into the emotions and the attitudes of the actors and 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 connecting things to like you know list feeling the energy of like the interactions and like the less so much different because you're seeing human to human. Inner, inner oh, relations, yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, 
and you're seeing kind of the story play out, were you extrapolating on any circumstances within your own life or Mm -hmm. I feel like that's what we do with movies. Mm -hmm. Well, they're all like, it's modern mythology, you know, it's like, it's like carrying some seed of wisdom that if we're like really listening, then it will, it'll sprout and we'll be like, holy shit, I didn't. (laughs) And so, yeah, I, I, I started doing that about week two. Um, so that's like the logistics of like my entry into the retreat, right? The first few weeks were just me adapting to my surroundings, getting comfortable with the routine, um, making sure I wasn't overdoing it on the practices. Like three times a day for an hour didn't feel like it was overdoing it, but like um, there's there's layers of purification that you go through, especially when you're working with like the internal locks, but the bandhas and, and using mudras and other yogic things to really put the keep the prana in the body like you can start to you can really start to overdo it and i had experienced that in the past personally in my own in other experiences that i've had on retreat what does overdoing it look like or like feel like or what's the experience of that um you just get really agitated like out of the body or no you're you're like in your think of just too much energy in your body mm. and no, nothing to do with it. You know, you couldn't run it out. You couldn't exercise it out. You couldn't, it, the best thing you can do is just lay on your back and do nothing. Right. It's the best thing you can do. And I found that out on like <laughs> the fourth week. I was like, wow, I really need to take more Shavasanas <laughs> because so what happened was like, I realized like I said, I didn't feel like I was overdoing it for the first couple of weeks. And I don't think I was like, I was having good meditations. I was like, um, I felt like each practice was a little deeper. I was sleeping good. Uh, I wasn't experiencing excess heat in my body. I was going through a huge psychic <clears throat> purification process. Like I replayed so many memories during this time. It was like a, an event reel of my life a highlight reel of my life just going like the first couple of weeks was just this every memory I was like combing through life just like organizing and assimilating or revisiting them thinking about yeah. them like did I did I make a mistake here is there something I can learn here where's my responsibility in this that's interesting we should go into that a little bit because let's do it I feel like well you're familiar with like every recall is a reframe mm-hmm so every time you recall a memory in your head, you are reframing that story yeah. in the mind state that you're in in that moment. Yes. Yes. So um, you were revisiting all of these. Mm-hmm. And like, ref- well, you're reframing whether or not you realize it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm really glad we're talking about this because this ties in with why I was able to really like refine my understanding of what yoga is doing. Right. And like what spiritual practice as a whole, what it's actually doing. And so can I just give you like my theory? Please. Because it has to do with reframing. Yeah. So, and this goes in with becoming and belonging. So like you're a structure. Stephen is a structure and Stephen is a coherence of energy of past events and memories that comprise you as you believe that you are. However, inside of you, and inside of everybody is the tension to become something more than they already are. The tension. 
the tension, yeah. the evolutionary impulse. And now what spiritual practice does, it allows you to go in and look at your structure from the inside and it helps you with reorganizing and, and like reframing perspectives that aren't helping you go where you want to go. And where I say you, I mean like capital Y you, the you that's behind you, that's in causing the impulse for you to grow into something beyond what mm. you currently are. And that's the you that was with you since birth. The higher self. The higher self. And that self is propelling all life along. I believe that we all share this in common. Yeah. And so in spiritual practice, you have an opportunity to go and observe every little structure, every little corner of every little detail of every little structure that comprises the whole thing that you call you. And what you do when you practice is you generate spiritual energy, which is like a heat. It's like an internal heat. In yoga, we call this tapas. And that comes from the word tap. You're constantly tapping on the structure. And if you do this enough times, you eventually can actually, you, will, you might end up causing entire pieces of the structure to collapse. But what ends up happening when you dismantle a whole structure is you now have a huge creative vacuum to build something new. To reframe your entire worldview and your perspective of existence. Now, what I think is um, a common pitfall in spiritual practice is we dismantle a structure, but then we go out and we re-engage in life in the exact same way. And then we just put together the pieces into the, uh, almost the same structure. And so I feel like a real authentic and effective spiritual practice helps you dismantle the structure, but then in its place, consciously put something that's helpful towards the becoming, the becoming of everything, because the becoming of you is the becoming of the existence, right? It, it is the creation, the greater reality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so when, you now those first couple of weeks, I just kept re-examining and, re and reframing and, and in order to really reframe the memory effectively and I mean like because sometimes we revisit something and then we just put it back the same way or we put it back with a new emotional charge on it yeah right and so I was like <laughs> fuck man I'm just like I am my own worst enemy like Jesus Christ this is this is gonna be a long 40 days you're just dismantling. I was dismantling it, but but before I like figured out what I was doing on like a nuanced level, I was fighting myself. I was like pulling out these memories and I was like fighting with them. But the the key is like to pull out the memory or or you don't you actually don't do anything. You just sit and you do your practice and the memory comes. Because however you bubbles in, up. However you engage in your spiritual practice, and each person is different in this, each person's yoga is individual, but when you do it, whatever arises is what needs to come up for you to re-examine, and how you re-examine it is how you reframe it, is how you reconstruct it. And so that you're, you, if you just sit down and do anything intentionally, it's a spiritual practice because you're having to focus. Now, of course, we have methods and processes that have been passed to us by thousands of years and have been refined over centuries of living practitioners who have basically said, this works. 
and it works better than the other things I've tried. And so the wise thing to do is to listen to that because it's a living wisdom and to like apply that in your own system and figure it out. And that's what yoga practices have done for us, I believe. Um, and in my own experimentation, I have my own processes, which I've refined, you know, yeah. that I've found work for me to do this exact thing that we're talking about, to go in and to examine what's there and to be able to observe it with a neutral mind is a freaking skill <laughs> that that is spiritual competency and I'm, I'm like i started to really work with this phrase spiritual competency it's like what is spiritual competency it's like being able to observe an energy or a piece of information without you reacting to it without throwing the charge on it yeah that's that is something that takes practice because we're so invested in take a memory for example if i recall a memory in which I was quote unquote betrayed or I felt like I was right and the person was wrong or you name it, a mistake that I made that I feel like I shouldn't have made or guilt or shame or any number of emotionally charged events that I'm carrying in my mind body system. If I observe that and I don't react to it, I've just reframed it and I made it into something that can actually help me not react to the same thing in the future. And that's positive or negative. It's positive or negative. Wait, what do you mean by that? So you, you, you're saying if you did not react to it with a negative charge or a positive charge. Yes. Yes. Because you can easily, I believe we can inflate. Mm. We can, it's just a story. It's not good or bad. It just, it happened. And our ability to, to really turn that into a fertilizer for a future that's different, we have to actually, to really dismantle it, you can't put a new structure on it that makes yeah. it prettier. <laughs> and that's what a lot of times we do is we... You neutralize it. You, you completely neutralize it. And neutral <laughs> is like... You know, we have this concept of love and I'm just really wrestling with, with the concept of love now. Like love is just new, neutral awareness, a space for life to flourish. Neutral is, space. It's, that is what we... Where you can go in any direction that you want to go. Any direction. It's and freedom. you are supported. Yes. Because awareness is the support of existence. It's the bedrock for everything. And when you give someone your pure attention and just you're just completely in a space of awareness with them then they can do whatever they want to do and you get to delight in the discovery of life creating itself before your (laughs) eyes (laughs) right oh my god and if you have a positive or negative stance on it then you're throwing a charge at it you're influencing it one way or the other. And that's not exciting. That's not exciting. What's most exciting is for you to actually be the, the participant, but not the one who's um, pulling the levers. Or p- pushing or pressing or... Pushing or pressing. And you want, you want to see what is authentic. Right. And like you want this person or this situation or whatever it is just to express in the utmost truth 
of their own expression and you just get to observe because that's what we all, we all want people to be authentic or truthful with us or, or, but we go, we go ahead and we want them to be truthful, but we go ahead and put our pressure on them to be the, to be the expectation, Mm -hmm. whether that's positive or negative, Mm -hmm. but it's like being in a space of loving, aware, loving awareness is to just be neutral and just be in a space with them. Is that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's how we, when we practice, that's what we're doing with ourselves. is we're not replaying <laughs> our past life and being like, Oh, you did it. That was great. Or, yeah. Or you could or have done good that. job. Good. Yeah. Good job. Grant. Or you that's did so okay. good. You're just, yeah. you're just letting the bubble come and you just let it pop. And when it pops, because if you let the bubble come and you have some story about it, good or bad, like, that, oh, fuck bubble, that that person betrayed me. Yeah, that bubble doesn't <laughs> have a chance to become something. It doesn't get it. It doesn't pop, and it doesn't give you the opportunity to have something new emerge. You've just reframed it, and you put another thing on it. And so that was like what I was experiencing for the first two weeks was just this, this psychic, um, entanglement. Like I was like, so I was like this in my life. Like I was interwoven with the things that I was observing and, and, um, it's funny cause I even knew what I was doing, but I was, I was developing a competency to, to be able to one explain to myself how I was going to like work through it because I feel like theory and practice go hand in hand. Like you have to understand on some degree how and why things are working. Yeah. We need to know the why. Yeah. It helps. It helps us continue. Yeah. And so by about week two, I was like really this, I was just thirsty for more, right? Like I was, I wanted to do more practices. I felt like the, the bhakti in my heart, the fire, the, the spiritual desire to, to, um, you know, I don't know, purify myself or whatever was like really strong. And so I decided to increase the intensity of my practices. Um, and what I ended up doing and that, cause I broke it into like trimesters. It was about six weeks in total. Cause day, today's 41 yeah, day 41. So it was about six weeks in total that I was away. And so I broke it into trimesters. And so first trimester was really me figuring out what I was doing and why I was doing it and how I was going to go about it on a deeper and more nuanced level. Like I had my practices that I felt confident in and I, you know, they were working at bringing all the psychic shit to the surface and then week second trimester. So week by the start of week three, I was like, all right, I'm going to just, I'm going to start increasing the pace a little bit, increase the intensity, increase the amount of work I'm doing. And, uh, so the first thing I did was I just stopped using a timer because before I used a timer and that, that really helps if like you're doing something very methodically and, and, and to create empirical data, you need it, you know? Yeah. Do you need to measure it? You need to measure it. And, um, I felt comfortable and this was actually like against what one of, one of my friends who said, who was like, just keep a timer because it helps you stay on track and it helps it so you don't overdo it. 
and he's that was the one who did nine months and I'm thinking like well it's only 40 days you know (laughs) (laughs) even if I overdo it but uh so I, I I got rid of the timer and I started to just go into each everything I was doing I would not I would just go to the point of like this is I learned so much about just the pure asana the physical practice in this stage because I stopped um there was no, I got rid of any sense of rush or mm-hmm. urgency which I was carrying I was carrying this urgency to like get to the meditation and like finish the work or whatever to finish the yoga class in an hour or yeah. <laughs> whatever it yeah. is yeah. even though you're on a timer and like the bell's gonna ring and it's gonna tell you to go to the next posture or technique or whatever like that should give you relaxation and it has in the past for me like using a timer has been really effective um, at causing me to relax but I feel like I was starting to go deep into some stuff and I wanted to go deeper, but I would like have the bell ring and then I would like mm. have to like, come on uh, out, come on out, you know? Yeah. And so when I got rid of the timer, I started to do postures for 10 or more minutes and I would just be like in it, you know, going really exploring what that posture is actually. And it's not just a body movement. It's not just a, a physical shape. There's a psychic residue that's carried in that shape that um, corresponds to moods and attitudes and feelings as an aggregate that express themselves in your body position. And then accompanying with those are memories and thoughts and experiences that you've had. And so when I started to go really into the postures therapeutically it started to become like a um like psychotherapy you know I started to unravel like these yarns of of trauma that I didn't even know I had like I started to have memories of just really old stuff things from my childhood um things that I had never remembered until that moment and I was like wow I didn't know that was still a memory dreams that I had years ago fragments of dreams like all of these things were just like kind of coming out it was like this this the dredges of my psyche were like being touched on and and uh so that was really interesting because that you know things started to really peel off then and then I wouldn't get to my kriya portion the pranayama portion of my practice and I I lengthened that uh 15 minutes to like 30 or 40 minutes and so I was doing breathing practices for 30 or 40 minutes um which stirred up a lot of stuff like whatever came you know the the gross blockages in your system get get cleaned out and purified uh during asana it's a bit like if you had a hose and there was mud in it and you took the outside Mm. and you twisted and like pulled it you could get the mud out but then you get to the pranayama and it's like you going to the hose and you're blowing in one end and, and blowing the mud out you see what i mean yeah so if you have enough power, you can blow the mud out much more cleanly than in an asana. In the physical twisting and pulling of the hose, you can't mm-hmm. get the mud all the way out, right? You need both. You need both, depending on your level of purification in your system. And that's an individual thing that takes practice and awareness and, and attention. And so I get to the pranayama, and I'm, now I'm blowing on that, that hose. And my... Um, 
yeah, it just, it's, man, I got really into the energy of that. Uh, I don't know how else to say that. I just was really like having fun with, with moving the energy in my body, feeling what prana really is. And my discovery is, uh, coherent with my previous discoveries on prana and that basically, and this is also uh, explained in the text is that on a basic level, you have an energy that goes up and an energy that goes down. Basically, you also have energies that go out and in and around. Mm -hmm. And then, so those are the five main pranas, but the up and the down, the prana and the apana are the ones that the, that a yogi really pays attention to because when you unite those two pranas, that's the yoga Right? That's when the up and the down and the energy of the in and the out come into perfect balance with one another, then you are no longer attending to the world outside of you, nor are you fully inside of you. You've united both. Yeah, you're right in the middle. You're right at the place where the energy originates, basically. Right? Before it goes out to explore the world and gets caught up in the, in the outer reality. And before it goes to interpret your inner environment, because prana is pra and ana, which means before. So that's an interesting concept is we think of prana as breath. And it's like, it's actually that which is before the breath. It's the impulse of the breath. Yeah. And so the breath that you <laughs> The breath that you take, that anybody takes, was actually given to them by the environment when they were first born, right? Because when you're born... The breath is given to you. The breath is given to you. When you're born, there's a negative pressure in your lungs. And, and so that inhale, that first inhalation that all life has taken is inspiration. actually... Inspiration. So it's a... It's a in spirit it, to take in the spirit the spirit goes into you and it's not something that you take and so so it, when you become intimate with your breath to receive in the spirit you start to you start to encounter and feel that which is breathing you and you develop a relationship with that and that's connected to that impulse in life the thing that's propelling you along whether you know it or not or agree with it <laughs> so I started to get really like oh, shit. I was just like going in there on the on the pranayama and, and the kriyas and and uh, for those of you that you which know, is breathing you whether you believe it or not that which is it's just a physics equation <laughs> whether you agree with whether it or you not. agree with it, it's like you don't need to agree with gravity for your ass to stay on the ground <laughs> yeah it just is just like your breath is still being given to you today given not taken it is a gift it's a gift and so i was just really enjoying the energy and feeling the energy in my body and like that's really what i was doing was just feeling it and like how it's connected to different processes and, and memories and so on and so forth just like the asana but on a deeper and more subtle level and then i would meditate and i would meditate and i did all this without a timer and so um my practices went from about an hour to two hours. And so, yeah, about and that first, that first initial segment to up the intensity, it increased slowly. So I didn't go right from one an hour, one hour to two hours, but 
over time they they steadily increased and I would like add a Kriya if I felt like I needed more specific local purification like I felt like Mm. all these blockages in my throat and my neck and my shoulders so I added a um, what I call Shakti Chalini it's like a dynamic form of Jalandara Bandha it's um, essentially you breathe you take a spinal breath so you inhale and you let the spine extend and you hold the breath in and as the breath is in your body that's called Kumbhaka your pressure inside of your body is like everything wants to go in that you, you want to exhale, but you hold that pressure in and you expand. You send the prana that's in your body into all corners, fingertips, toe tips, to the crown of the head. And then you roll your neck with the breath health. And so what that does is it just, it because your head is like, imagine um, you're, you're taking like a cloth with a knot on one end and you're like, coil you're pulling one end and like rotating it it's gonna like pull that knot tighter does that make sense it's kind of like wringing it out a little bit it's like wringing it out and really all the what's that go ahead yeah all yoga practices are designed to do as far as i can tell is bring the prana into the central channel because once it goes into the central channel it can actually move up and and illuminate literally it, it, it you perceive it as like an illumination of higher centers of your brain you start to actually feel and see and perceive lights in higher places yeah because most of that energy is stuck in the structure and to to rearrange the structure you have to actually reinterpret it through all of its evolutes all of the the manifestation of life this is what i started to really understand on an esoteric level is like happening from the crown of your head down into your body almost like a triangle descending and like an antenna yeah yeah you're when you're born you're downloading life through the crown of your head and your body is starting to assimilate into a structure okay it's almost like the roots of the nervous system yes yes and the cosmic nervous system is the triangle pointing up and so when you start to rearrange and generate spiritual energy in your structure and get things to unplug, because you're unplugging yourself from the matrix in all these different ways, just cutting all of those mm. pranic cords, really. That are draining your energy. That are, they're not draining your energy, but they're, they're used to support um, the manifestation of life that you are. Okay. And so when you cut that pranic cord, you've just undone that manifestation of life. You've just undone that looping cognition. You've just undone that memory, that emotion, that feeling, that whatever's attaching you to the world as yourself, you've just undone that and that energy can now coil and return back upwards. And that's why Kundalini is this coiled energy. Because when the ego disidentifies or when you when you become less identified with your ego you now have more creative energy to do something else and that creative energy is kundalini so we talk about awakening kundalini and getting kundalini to move and it's like it's already moving up it it naturally she wants to return to her the The prince of yours the consort right she wants to return to shiva or however you want to personify the cosmic source, like you said. 
She wants to return there. That's the evolutionary impulse. That's the tension we feel. But we put a lid on it and we put a structure and it causes that kundalini to stay in the body so that instead it can animate ourself. This is the duality of life and this tension is how life was created. Dynamic tension. Dynamic tension. It's the neutron and the, the electrons and protons trying to escape the orbit. There's an attraction and a repulsion. We can look, we can see this all over, man. That's like yeah. every little thing, the man and the, and the woman. And so where was I? Yeah. When the, when you become less identified with the ego, the Kundalini now has more room to play basically. And so when you're doing spiritual practice, you're just becoming less identified with the ego structures. And then the Kundalini naturally moves up. And this is why we feel this lift in our spine and we feel this lengthening and this eyes rolling into the back of the head and looking up and that, that sort of effect that's a hallmark of the energy moving, right? And so I was just really exploring these things and, and uh, having, fun, having fun with it, you know, because I was like journaling every day and like really treating it like a research assignment. And, and, uh, and so week two, I started to increase the intensity. Week three, increase the intensity again. And I think from like maybe day 20 to day 28 to the last of week of that second trimester mm-hmm. that was like my peak week because I was like I would kind of traded it like a bell curve I was like I was going to go up and have a peak and then come down and the peak was right at the full moon actually February 8th mm. so um, yeah I, I kind of timed it that way because I was like I'm going to do a, a, a full moon ritual I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a fire I'm going to do some more intense practices on this day. And, uh, that was Saturday, February 8th. That must've been in between week three and week four. And I had decided that on the new moons and on the full moons, I would sit for three hours without moving would be one of my, um, specific practices for that day. And so the first time I did that, which was the first new moon, I can't remember when, where that fell. It, oh, January 24th or 25th, the Lunar New Year. Hmm. I felt good. Like I was able to sit. I didn't move. Um, I mean, it was hard. Three hours is a long time. <laughs> it's a long time, yeah. Uh, not moving my legs, just completely like a statue. Hmm. And uh, because it's it said in one of the yoga texts that your, um, and we referred to this earlier the in and the out energy the ida and the pingala for those of you who are familiar with those terms yeah that's the that's the masculine and the feminine aspect of our consciousness and in our nervous system that appears if 90 minutes per cycle of those so if you sit for three hours which is 270 minutes or sorry 180 minutes you go through one full cycle of the out and one full cycle of the in and if you pay attention there's a little window where the middle the transition space it's kind of like twilight not day not night right Mm. and you can't see the sun but you can't tell if it's rising or setting and so that that middle zone that's the shashuna that's the central channel that we're talking about that we're trying to bring the prana in to really the staff in between Mm mm-hmm 
Mm-hmm. And so sitting for three hours is an attempt to like get a glimpse into that. And you don't need to do anything else. Like that's just, that's your practice. There's no breathing technique. There's just sit, don't move. And so the first time I did that, it was like, not bad. You know, I, it was a long time, but it was, I, I did it, you know, in my Vipassana, I sat for two hours, which I did a Vipassana in 2018 and, uh, sitting for two hours was not that big of a deal. I was in more pain in my body then than I was now. Like I got mm. really comfortable sitting and, uh, but geez, the second time I did this on the full moon, <clears throat> it was like, I don't know, man. I feel like I opened a portal to like my deepest fear or the thing that I was like most afraid of. It was like right near the end of the practice. So maybe two and a half hours. And I just got like struck with this because a lot of things come up in that time. Mm. You know, you get through the first hour, you're all right. You're like, okay, you're just starting to get a really long time. And then things just come to the surface. You know, you're, you're calling in whatever is deep in your subconscious mind. And you're saying like, reveal yourself to me. And at least that's what I was doing. I don't know if, if that's what everyone does when they sit for three hours, but I suspect that that's just a, an occurrence. That's that, an occurrence. Cause you're, you're not moving. Your body can't do anything. Your mind can't do anything. All that's going to happen is like the deepest layer of residue is, is now like kind of coming up. And so on this occurrence, I got like, it was like this door open and I just got like afraid. I was like scared. I didn't feel good. I got sick to my stomach. This is all during the, the sitting. And, um, I wanted to quit. I wanted to like go home. <laughs> uh, I felt sad. I felt scared. And it was like all so many stories attached to that. Like having, you know, saying, uh, going home and quitting my retreat and telling everyone what a failure I was. And like all of these things, man, just like silly narratives that were very real, that were very, all the feelings of shame, of guilt, of, um, you name it. Like it was just all, and it was all connected to this, the, the root fear, which is of like not being enough. Mm, right. That's like, the root fear. The root fear is not being enough, not being infinite, not being what you are. It, it, Cause that's connected to your mortality. If you believe in your mortality, then you believe that you're not infinite. Cause those two things, if you actually knew who you were, you would know that you never die. And if you know that you don't die, <laughs> then nothing can, nothing can scare you because our fears are connected to the fact that if I do this, I'm going to fuck up and I'm going to be excommunicated from my group. And I didn't complete the thing that I needed to do while I was alive. Mm-hmm. Well, I had this one chance. Mm-hmm. And that's the tension between belonging and becoming at its root, between evolution and structure. Because you feel like the risk that you're going to take is too much for your life. And that it's going to, it will break all of the things that you've known or, or people that, that you love are going to leave you or you're going to be left behind by your group or your peers are no longer going to respect you or you're going to be cast out of the tribe. Like these are all really primordial 
necessities for biological life. Like it's their biological imperatives, I would say. This need to belong and be a part of a social group. And so, and becoming and growing and evolving into something involves you leaving behind everything that you've known. Especially in the, in the highest cases. Like we have so many examples of people. Jesus Christ is such a perfect example, right? He was like, this is the truth and I'm willing to die for it. It was just, he had to stand for that. Mm. And that is just a symbol as, as, as an archetype of what we go through when we, it's like when we receive that huge download, that inspiration for what our life could be. And we're just so scared to make that action because if we make that action, it could mean we leave our spouse. It could mean we leave our career. It could mean that we lose all of the relationships that we hold dear. But deep down inside of us, we're like, damn, I really like, this is what I got to do because that is the doorway to the eternal life. Everything else is fixed. Everything else is already known. It's all created. If you want to actually experience creation in the, the immortality of your existence, then you have to step through those doors into the unknown again and again and again in bigger and bigger ways. The hero's journey never ends. Never ends. The cycle continues. <laughs> yeah. You complete and you start again. Yes, because... This is the cyclical nature of life. It's this, right, right. Right. And so that you, this freaking three hour sitting meditation turned into like this catastrophe of psychic <laughs> proportions, you know? And I'm like, I open my, I peek at the timer and it's like 30 minutes to go. Like, and I'm, Fuck. Like, I'm like, oh, so I just sat and like felt it and really felt it. And, and then I went out, I finished and then I went out and I made a fire and I put all of that into the fire and I chanted some mantras and I like did this whole thing and watched the moon rise, which was incredible. Um, and I went inside and I was just so uneasy, man. I was like, this was really uncomfortable for me. And um, I made like an agreement with that feeling. I was just like, I'm o- this is okay. Like... I'm okay with this. Whatever this is, I'm okay with this. And that's, that didn't make it go away, you know, I just, but it made me a little better off. And so I was able to sleep that night. I got up the next morning. I was still feeling this like an existential, existential dread kind of feeling. And, um, I went through my practice and then I took a walk and watched the sunrise and I'm watching the sunrise and, and I went up on, on this, Sedona airport vortex. Yeah. And there's some other people up there watching the sunrise, mm-hmm. but I like kind of go off to the side. So like I don't interact with anybody. And, and this lady is there and she has like this staff, like kind of like a walking stick, but it was like a fancier staff and something about her just stood out to me. And we're watching the sun peek over the, the, the horizon there. And, and then right as the first ray of sun peeks over the horizon, she starts to sing this song. And I'm like, I'm looking at the sun and the sun is like saving my life, right? Because after the sun set was when all that shit happened and the mm. moon rise and like, it was like everything was into the underworld, into the underworld, full illumination of the shit. 
and the sun rises and she starts to sing this song and I, I, I don't know what she was singing. I couldn't make it out. I was too far away. But all I heard at one point was just Ram, Ram, Ram. Well, she was singing about Ram. At least that's how I was hearing her. And Ram is the soul of life. And then Ram's consort is um, Sita, which is yeah. the creation, right? And so she's singing about the soul of life or, and singing about just the illuminating quality of your consciousness that has, it's neutral, it's not, it's unblemished, it's perfect, it's the noble warrior, it's the king, it's the, the, the leader, the, the one that only does good can only do good and I'm watching the sun and I'm just having like this moment and I'm like man you know because I still got a couple weeks to go and I'm just feeling feeling this feeling and she's singing and I'm watching the sunrise and it just was such a beautiful moment and I listened to her for some time what looked at the sun and then went back down to my my little abode and and then shortly after that I just had like this moment of grace I don't know how else to put it I just it was like the clouds parted and I just felt relief like just just incredible relief just this this peace inside of me was just like ah like it's okay it's okay (laughs) it's okay you're infinite yeah there's nothing Whatever you're feeling, whatever you're afraid of, whatever it is, whatever, whatever, whatever. Whatever, whatever. It's just passing scenery. That's all that it is. It's just part of the drama. And it's all there to help you get to this moment now to go. (sighs) And I just started laughing. (laughs) I just started like. (laughs) <laughs> I was like, wow, man, they, this is so good. What a, what a trip. Like, how does life make it so perfect for you to wake into who you are? And how could you, or, I mean, it's like. What's we forget? Right, yeah. We forget. We forget. And the forgetting is part of it. Because once you remember if you didn't forget and get so trapped in the drama and the illusion... You wouldn't have the remembering. <laughs> yeah, and the remembering... Wouldn't... That's the beautiful thing about forgetting, Yeah, is that you can remember. <laughs> mm-hmm. 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 And, then, and it was like the child that runs away from the mother and runs so far to explore uncharted territories. And it's like, it's so exciting and it's such an adventure at first, but eventually... You lose your... You turn around and mom's nowhere to be in sight. You don't know where you are. You don't know how you ended up there. And you don't know how to make You're your like, way back fuck, home. I want my mommy. Right? And you start to <laughs> cry and wail. And that's where prayer comes from. And that's like your need to figure out how to return to your source or what you know of Holy as shit. home. Is that urge and that, that tension between you and mom or you and the parental figure is that that's what's driving life and that urge to you're in you're in the womb with mother and everything's perfect but eventually you come out and you want to go figure things out for yourself 
And so you go and you explore and you find some things and you fall and you skin your knee and then you look around and no one's there to help you and you just want your mom to be there to help you or your dad or whatever parental figure. The archetype of divinity is that the mm. all-knowing, all-loving parental figure, which is the, the, the love of your awareness. When you just rest and you just let go and you find that peace in your heart. And there's nothing that can ever take that from you, right? That's how you know you're always home because no matter where you go, you're at the center of the universe, of your universe. But because the universe is a holographic thing, it's being experienced through you and consciousness is a non-local phenomenon, wherever you are is both the center of the universe and as far away from the center as possible. <laughs> and that tension is the is the becoming belonging. It's the spectrum. <sighs> yeah. So I had this moment of grace, and it was just, oh, and it was, and I felt like I was done. I was like, all right, it's time to pack it You're in. Like, you know? Shit, I still got more time. <laughs> yeah, and and it was so nice because at that point I had upped my intensity of practice. I was practicing about seven hours a day at that point. <clears throat> I had increased my sessions from three to four. So I was practicing at waking before breakfast, midday and at sunset. Um, and I was just doing a lot. I was like, there's a lot of things coming up, obviously. Right? I had that experience and it was really shitty and really uncomfortable. And, and I went on for two more days like that of just intensity. And then I think on day 30, I was like, all right, it's time to taper down a little bit. So I dropped one of the practices back from four to three, um, I returned to a timer, which helped me like put myself back in a little box and contain the energy that was being unwound. And, and, uh, but then I, I don't know, the very last week, I think week six was like, it was both the best and the worst week because I, I, I just like, I started to just feel like I missed home, I missed social contact. Mm-hmm. I really eased up on the on the amount of work I was doing, and I, I think that amount of space allowed more work to be done. Wow! So you eased up on the amount of practices that you were doing, mm-hmm. and that created more space for you to just be mm-hmm. with yourself or mm-hmm. with the desire to mm-hmm. become. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And everything that was when like everything started to both crystallize and like refine and like the restructurization because like I was just stirring up energy for weeks and weeks and weeks, just moving energy, clearing, opening, and then once I began to rest and I really started to rest, I stripped all of my asanas back to just headstand and just shoulder stand and shavasana. So I basically was was doing the three essential postures that I've discovered for me personally are the essential postures. I would wake up and I would just do a simple joint warm up and then I would headstand for 10 minutes and which was about 20 breaths. I would count about 20 breaths. I would rest for a moment. I would do a shoulder stand for about half the time or less than that. It was like eight to 10 breaths, but the shoulder stand breaths were, were, um, not the same length of time as the headstand breaths. And then I would rest in Shavasana on my back for 10 minutes. And so that was like a 25 minute asana portion. 
And then I would go right into spinal breathing for 10 minutes. And to, if you're curious about that or anyone's curious, spinal breathing is such a simple practice, but it's so, it just, to me, it feels like the most complete and, and uh, effective form of pranayama for the reason, for a few reasons. And I'll explain because this is what, what I realized. So you have a north and south pole. Right, you have the you have the crown of your head and the root of your spine. In both in every area in between is a different layer of mind. Okay? There's a different dimension that your consciousness can travel within or or there's a different level that your mind can operate at depending on where in the spine you are localizing your awareness. And to basically that looks like the most divine and connected with everything is at the crown and the most individual and fragmented is at the root. So it goes from divine to animal, Mm. right? And that's kind of the evolutionary chain of from single cell life on up to the complexity of the human being. So we have available to us the possibility to act from all of those dimensions, right? And this is the range of potential in human consciousness. And the spine is the symbol of that ladder, right? And so when you bring your attention to your spine, just bringing your attention to anything brings energy into that thing. It brings the light of consciousness to illuminate the thing you're attentive of. And this is how any creative process works. You have to actually pay attention to actually create anything or recreate something. And so when you bring your attention to your spine and what, ha- what the process of spinal breathing is just you exhale down and you follow the energy to the root, you keep it there for a moment and then you inhale up. And that's it. And there's there's layers of advancement. We can include bandhas and all these additional nuanced things with that that make it more powerful. And I definitely explored all of those. Um, but you can just do that and it will work very well. Because as you go through and you travel up the spine and you travel down the spine, you will encounter every little area where the hose has ever been blocked or kinked. Because that's your main hose. All the other hoses in your body come out of that main one. That's the main channel. Central channel, yeah. It's the central channel. And so the nadis, the nadi system, which is the, the pathways of, of consciousness in your body, they don't correspond directly to the circulatory of the nervous system. However, they have, um, they are... Branches. They are connected to it, right? Because you, your nervous system and your circulatory system, those are actually... That's chemical. Those are, those are molecules and, mm-hmm. you know, there's an action potential in the nervous system and there's, um, hormones and there's blood. And so that's, those are still material things, but there's an electromagnetic pulse or a signal or, or a flow of consciousness, which is light, which is not material. And that's flowing through your body. And so, and those are, that corresponds to the nadis. Those are the hoses we were talking about with pranayama. And as you unblock and unkink the hoses, the circulatory system and the nervous system and all the other systems in your body now have a, have, are more inundated with prana, the, that which is before, which is the light. 
and then the light slows down and becomes form. So this is the descent of formlessness into life to manifest. Because from nothing becomes something and it goes back to nothing. Everything in the universe is doing that from the beginning to the end. From planets to stars to human life, everything is starting at at a single point of nothingness or everythingness, expanding to become something. And that something runs its course once the energy has became what it was birthed to become. And it returns back to the potential of nothing which nothing can become anything, right? So this is the, these are the iterations that life goes through. And yoga is the reversal of that process. It's taking the energy that's stuck and it's letting it complete its loop so that it can return back to the source. And when you come into spinal breathing pranayama and you move up and down the central channel with your inhale and your exhale, you're going through, you're basically like replaying the store the main storage um you're going through the main filing cabinet cabinet of your life where we hold memory trauma mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. past life whatever whatever all the things all the imprints all on the your imprints. mold yeah and that brings me to trauma right and trauma and habit are the two things that prevent life from proceeding in a in a progressive way in an evolutionary way because trauma and habit are stuck forms of energy that are replaying themselves and so and we think of trauma as like a car accident or a huge life event or whatever but we don't think of trauma as like the residue of an experience that happened yesterday that I'm still carrying today Right? So if you and I have a conversation and we have an argument and it doesn't go so well and I leave and I'm still thinking about that experience, then that's a residue in my system that I must resolve. And if I don't resolve that, then that goes as an undigested fragment of the past that gets stuck and lodged in my system somewhere. In order manifest into a physical blockage. And manifest into a physical blockage and a mental and psychic and emotional blockage which then has to manifest itself later in a different way so that i can so that resolve it can it. be resolved so it can be resolved and you will continue to call that you auto you unconsciously you want to resolve it you want to, life wants to resolve itself the energy wants to finish becoming what it was supposed to become <laughs> <laughs> and if you didn't let it become a resolve then that peace never no you never got the ultimate peace you never res, you never finished the thing So that's spinal breathing. Spinal breathing is going in and it's like going into your old dusty filing cabinets because everything can be contained in that central channel, I believe. And, you know, you're, it's like you're, you're, it's like when you are, I won't use that example. I was going to say like tributaries, tributaries of streams, little streams Mm. coming off from the main river. And like there's dams or something on those streams and you're trying to increase the water flow on, on those tributaries, not realizing that the main tributary, the main river that's the source of those ones is actually blocked. So instead of yeah. like going through and pruning all the little ones, you just go to the main highway. And so that's what I believe spinal breathing does. And, and there is a place for other breathing practices for sure. 
However, I think that there's, there's the, there's a common thing that happens in the human of one, we want to go too far, too fast. We want to make things too complex. We want to make things too complex. We want to, um, we're, we're just extremists. Generally, we want to overdo it generally. Like the ego is, has this attitude of attainment and, um, striving. And those things are actually counterproductive to the yoga process because they, they cause us to put a new charge on things. When we revisit them, we put a new charge on it. And so sometimes we do breathing practices and it just gets us, we generate too much spiritual energy and we create a huge flow in the system, but we don't have enough grounding of that energy to actually build the foundation for the new structure. So we break down a bunch of shit, but then we just, that energy needs to go somewhere. And if we don't have a really sound grounding practice, then a lot of times we just end up that creative energy just gets squandered or we don't know what to do with it. Or this is where we get Kundalini excess symptoms or we can be, we can end up easily aggravated or oversensitive. I think that's a huge Hmm. issue in the spiritual community is like, there's this oversensitivity and like, sure there's instances of like oversensitive systems that like it's net, you're naturally oversensitive, but I really don't believe that. Or or I should say this. I believe that a, a, a sound and effective spiritual practice should make you more sensitive and more resilient, right? It should allow you to be creative yet be grounded. And I think that we're, we fall into two poles. We're either, we either feel more comfortable in structure and like there's no room for creative flow or we're always flowing and there's no room for discipline and structure. Think about how often you hear like, oh, it's not in the flow. Oh, I don't yeah. know if I can commit to that. If like, you're like, no, we need to put this on the calendar. Yeah, that honestly, that stuff really irritates me because there is a need for both things, and they need to get along. And they're and if we're too sensitive and we can't even eat a sandwich without getting a stomach ache, we have to examine the not the physical symptoms of that, but why that's occurring. You know why? Why is my body rejecting? something so much that I actually feel ill, right? Like we should be able to digest life on a a variety of spectrums. And I'm not saying to go out and eat cheeseburgers and like drink alcohol, but I am saying that like a really, uh, we should, we should just really be, um, interested in, in what practices help us approach life from a standpoint of like I can take it on, right? I can take on the full spectrum of the human experience and be able to digest and assimilate. Yes. Yes. Cause that's evolution, right? We we're, we're, we're yeah. I'll, I'll just end there. I feel like that's and and that ties with spinal breathing because I feel like that is the practice of going to from one pole to the other and just going in between. And it, and it it is both stimulating and grounding at the same time. It allows you to be in both of those worlds. And, and so that's what I was finding is like, I dropped all the additional Kriyas, like the extra half hour of other stuff I was doing to make my spinal breathing practice more amplified because you can energize the shit out of it. 
like there's specific kriyas you can do to like unblock things. I was doing a lot of nali kriya, the stunning churning. Yeah. I was doing hundreds of rotations per day. And that has unblocked so much of my diaphragm. Dude, it's so... The vacuum. Yeah. The vacuum, Udiyana Bunda. Yeah. Dude, yeah, I was really enjoying my exploration in those things because they're freaking powerful. But when I got to the last 10 days, I just dropped them all and I just did headstand, shoulder stand, Shavasana, which Shavasana should not be underestimated. It is like <laughs> the most effective yoga posture. Truly, like if you can lay on your back and let go, like truly let go, but not fall asleep, mm. stay connected to your body, consciously mm. relax your body without going into a, on the sleep mode. That is a really, really, really powerful practice. I believe, especially in today's world where we have such a hard time letting go. Conscious relaxation. Dude, it's so key, man. It's so key. I was just reading something about like being able to consciously relax your muscles is such a, it's a practice that we should be doing just as much as being able to consciously contract our muscles. For sure. Totally. Arnold Schwarzenegger talked about that. And he was a big proponent of meditation, actually. Yeah. Yeah. It's, dude, it's huge. Really. I was finding, like, I started to do practice. Basically, I took my five hours, because at that point, I think I'd been doing, I dropped from seven to six to five hours of practice. And then I replaced all the additional asana that I had been doing with shavasana. (laughs) So I was doing, I was laying on my back in corpse pose for like an hour a day not doing anything, just being and not falling asleep. I would just rest. And then I would headstand and shoulder stand twice a day, morning and evening. And then I would spinal breathe for 10 minutes, morning and evening. And then I would meditate for anywhere between 20 and 40 minutes a day or per session. So my sessions went from two hours to about 60 minutes or 70 minutes ish. And I found like that was all that I needed. Like my meditation started to really deepen. I started to get in these, you know, I had some really profound, um, I would call them mystical moments, but like nothing as powerful as some of the earlier, uh, experiences I had when I, when I started to pursue yoga with sincere interest, I had like two really notable experiences early on that just blew me open and changed my reality forever. Um, and I've always like assumed that more of those would happen, but it's been like three, more than three years and I haven't had anything as close as that, um, which is fine. Cause I could still practice and dedicate the rest of my life to this just for the memory of those moments. Like those moments were indescribable and I had some like minor mystical moments where it, like I was kind of like you know, I'm in my meditation and you're following the mantra and your breath gets really short and small and smaller and smaller. And then it just, it's like (laughs) your existence just cuts off. And then you're just, you're in this space of bliss. Right. And like, I, I felt like it was just, it was really nice. I had a few of those. Um, I also had really nice meditations that I just was really deep inside. Um, All that's happening is this mantra. The breath is very shallow, very quiet, very calm. 
right? And then I would slowly, the energy would kind of come down a bit and subside back into body awareness. And I would realize it's time for me to do my closing prayers and then finish with my practice, which would just be a, a closing mantra and then a laying in Shavasana. I would always rest at the very end of my practice to ground everything. <clears throat> and so that was like the last week. But in all that extra space, right, I, all this energy was moving and swirling and then all of a sudden I had all this space. It was like just the stupidest human things where I was like... What was coming up? Oh, I just wanted to go home and like I wanted to go yeah. to a coffee shop and like get a coffee just and talk to somebody. Shoot and the shit with somebody. Just, just <laughs> see, you know, and and then that, that would that would be a phase and it would go away and I would just be so content doing nothing. I would just go outside and I would just stand and I would just look at the trees and I would just listen to the birds and I would watch the clouds and I would just feel the wind and that was just so perfect. And I'd go inside and then I'd want to like, you know, pick up my phone and text somebody. Um, so that it, the la- like I said, the last week was the best and the worst because it was like all the, like my life was now being put back together. Mm. And I was a little frustrated because some of the things that were coming back to be put together, I was like, I really don't want that anymore. Like what? patterns like psychic ways of looking at things um, Mm. ways of identifying with things like as my personality started to cohere as the structure kind of came back into form because I went deep into like formlessness right unplugging from everything all this it was like some of those forms some of those structures no longer fit with the bigger picture that was becoming more apparent which I, you know, I don't think anybody knows what the real bigger. supreme reality is. Like the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. I don't think anybody actually knows because I don't think we want to know. I don't think we can know. I think it's unknowable. And I think the mystery is part of what creates the tension for us to go explore and find out. And that's the fun. And so like, I'm like sitting there like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I want to do. Like, I have all these ideas. and Yeah, you have all this space. I have all this space. I started to write. I st- instead of just journaling, I started to write. And I, I wrote like this 15-page, 16-page six, essay, which I would consider it like, I don't know, what do they call it? A magnus opum or something? I, there's like a Latin phrase for like your life's work in one document. Mm-hmm. And so I would consider this uh, a, a synopsis of my of all of what we're talking about um, I go deeper into trauma I go deeper into uh, how we separate ourselves from reality and how we believe that we're separate and why that creates tension and strife and, and I go deeper into like the inherent struggle of humanity and why we, we're seeing the problems we're seeing today and how it's basically just a, a crisis of spirituality and um, I talk a little bit about like what I foresee as the future of the spiritual culture and and how we can adopt um, sound practice methodologies and and for the modern world. Exactly. Yeah. Cause I was like, as I was thinking like, I'm going to have to go back to life and like re-engage and like that was creating fear in my system. I was like, you know, like 
it, I feel this feeling of like having to go re-engage and it's interesting. And I'm wondering like that subtle feeling is also present if you just meditate in the morning before your day, but you don't notice it. So when you have a really peaceful, blissful morning meditation and then you get up off your cushion and you go about and you have to go and go to work. There's a subtle tension I feel like there because Mm. you're no longer in the bliss of unity consciousness. Like you now are back in the world of duality and you have to engage in the world of duality meaningfully. And so I started to, I was like, okay, well, what, what is the path of the modern mystic? Right? What is what is my path in the world? And how do I really take these things that are esoteric and spiritual and apply them in a meaningful, interpersonal way? Like, how do I... Because I can't just be distant from the world anymore. Like, I spent years of my life um, as, like, a really sincere, dedicated yoga practitioner living on, like, the fringe of society. Yeah. Right? Because I'm not I'm not fully a part of the world, I feel. I was like kind of a little bit aloof from it. You know, I was separating myself from world news. I was avoiding looking at things that were painful. Um and I'm like, man, I like my duty is in the world. All of our duties are in the world. To participate. To participate fully in all of it. And I started to really think about that and I was like thinking about my personal, how I personally plan to approach that problem or whatever. It's it's an internal crisis really. It's like, okay, why have I separated myself from these things and how do I reintegrate myself fully into them? What does an integrated spiritual practice really look like? And so I was, I was really examining all of that and I wrote this big long essay and um, it helped me really compile my thoughts and, and now I'm like, I mean, the last couple of days were really nice, man. I had just such a nice time, like walking and, and having an easier practice schedule and, and, uh, having my piece of dark chocolate at night. I say I have three <laughs> bars of dark chocolate that I went into the retreat with and I didn't eat any of them for the first two, two or three weeks because I wanted to have a piece each day. <laughs> um, so it was like, it was like downhill after the midway point kind of thing. But, uh, yeah, I just started to think about like, what is the intersection of all of this? You know, how does this integrate? How does this apply? Like how, you know, I don't need to go and, and tell people a story of how I did a 40 day retreat and I'm this enlightened being. And like, I don't feel like that's true. I feel like enlightenment is a process and like, we're just going to constantly refine and like keep, you know, we keep downloading light into our body through our practices and what we do with that light is important and how we're using it to truly support and advance the community and the people around us. And like, Mm. and and so I'm like, I'm thinking like, we don't need more workshops on chakras you know, we don't need more spiritual materialism. Like there's just this huge market to consume spiritual goods. And, and I feel like that's, that's just not really at the deepest levels beneficial. Like, I feel like it's just another commodity that we've, that we've packaged and, and we're consuming. 
And now I'm like looking, I'm like, how am I, how have I contributed to that market? And how do Mm. I remove myself from that yet still be a part of it so that I don't, because I'm not, I'm not saying that like these things are bad or wrong. I'm just saying that like, I personally am now viewing them in a bigger, from a bigger place, right? How does it integrate on a bigger level? Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, we have this huge spiritual marketplace. People are exposed to yoga all over. It's great. It's like, like a $6 billion industry. Really? Wow. I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, there's, there's, there's a, there's a thirst for a, a, I don't know what it is. Just a, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm just curious what the future looks like for this, you know, like when are we going to stop looking at yoga as exercise and instead see it as like a holistic lifestyle choice that helps a person with everything that they can think of that they need help with. Right. It's like, when is the necessity for consciousness based education going to surpass our current academic interest in those subjects? Because right now we're, we're, we're like right on the cusp of some really interesting history, man. Like we're starting to have modern science confirm the ancient wisdom traditions, the truths in those traditions are being the experiences that have been proven. Yeah. It's yeah. like, why do we need to prove that instead of just have that experience? Because it's the, that's where we're at today. We're at a level of hypercognition where we've developed such intricate mental models of reality that now we need to find ways to like feed in the esoteric and the mystical and the spiritual perspectives that makes sense so that the left and the right can actually meet again. Cause there's this tension between the two, between the East and the West, between the left and the right, between the fixed and the free. It all wants to connect. It wants to connect. It wants to be heard and it wants to be felt and it wants to be like rationally thought out and fit in with a feeling. Right. And that's, I'm just so, I'm really looking forward to this stuff, man, because I feel like the, the spiritual marketplace is, is really changing. And, and I feel like the, the modern mystic is the archetype of the person who is emerging from, from those places. And I feel like we all have a role to play in that. And I feel like our quest for higher stages of consciousness is going to be like a something that people take seriously, right? Like I don't, I think spirituality is going to change from a, a search just to feel good because right now we're, we use spirituality just to feel good so that we can keep doing the same shit instead of a necessity, instead of a, like an evolutionary impulse to like wake up. Like we need to take it, our awakening seriously and not just treat it like a hobby. If we really want things to be different and I'm talking things to be different on a global scale, not just on a personal level. And if we look at the world, then we can and be honest with ourselves we can really see where we each have a part to play in that. And I think that that's like, that's what's happening. Like there's this massive, um, 
emergence of consciousness through the world. And, and that increase in light is putting pressure on all the darknesses that we've kept hidden. And I think that that's what we're going to see is like this, you know, the collective and generational traumas that we need been, to look at the dark. We need to look at the dark, shine a light on it and face it. Right. And not just bypass it. Right. And everybody knows their part in that. For sure. For sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think that's where we're going, Stephen. I, I really, uh, it's illuminating the shadow, yeah. collective shadow. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's, you know, we know there's some groundbreaking research to show us that trauma is, is inherited and activated through epigenetics, right? Like down generations. And even in the Bible, it says the sins of the iniquities of our fathers will be passed on to Holy our, our sons onto the third and fourth generation. That's in the Bible. Speaking of the Bible, that, that book is, <laughs> I was really enjoying the story of Jesus while I was on retreat, man. Dude, I feel Jesus <laughs> with me right now. <laughs> I was really, I was like, man, this dude. I got the God bumps right now. <laughs> <laughs> this dude is like legit. But, uh, yeah, man, like we are carrying wounds that are not necessarily ours in this lifetime, but f- as a consciousness, we, inhale, we, we were given a, a freaking, this body is a g- profound gift and it, and oh, man, <laughs> we inherited a piece of technology that's been refined by the cosmos for millions of years, <laughs> <laughs> right? We are the eyes and the ears and the taste and the smell and touch of the world, the world, the universe itself evolved sense perception through many different life forms. But currently the one sitting in front of me as Steven and myself and the other humans listening to this, you are a piece of evolutionary, uh, advancement that is so highly tuned and refined over many, many iterations of life. And we carry with us not only the wisdom of successful life forms before us, because everything that happened before us was a success. Ultimately, it was able to pass on yeah. its genes, but we also inherited the, the mistakes and we inherited the scars. And we're looking at the world through a lens that's distorted by some of those scars. We've contributed our own scars for sure. And we have, and, and honestly, I feel like the scars that we experience in our life and the trauma we experience in our life is there to show us where those unconscious things were inherited. Right? We have, I mean, that can go on and on and on, but I, but I feel like trauma exists as a sort of tension to help us to grow and evolve past it. And I feel like that trauma, you know, of course we can re rearrange our patterns and our habits through spiritual practice and yoga. Like we can go in and, and sort through that. And on some degree we can sort through the trauma too, but there's a strong likelihood that some of the traumas are transpersonal and are collective and are shared. And that I can go and do my spiritual 
practice, excuse me, to get enough space in my system so that I can sit in front of you and I can, I can help consciousness through us and through our reflections of each other help and heal us both. Mm. Cause it's not just you. And if I put my finger and I say it's yours, then I'm part of the problem. It's ours. It's ours. And it will always, it is a shared responsibility. Response ability an ability to respond. And if we don't have the ability to respond, then we're reacting. Reacting. We're reacting out the trauma, the pattern. The pattern. Whatever it is. Whatever is stuck and frozen is now being... we take responsibility, our ability to respond, and repattern. Repattern. Create something new. Innovate. Evolve. Refine. And so it's like the child runs away from mom, gets hurt, learns something, comes back to mom. Does the mom get angry with the child and scold it and cause it to run away again? Or do they, do they come together and do they integrate and they learn a lesson about discipline and the need to stay close to home or the need to wear a helmet when they ride the bike? Or, right? There's this, there's this transcendence of the old but is including it also. It's learning. It's learning. It's learning man (laughs) (laughs) did you learn you know so what did you learn i learned that there's a lot to learn i I kept coming that realization what did you learn man there's a lot to learn i'm like when does it end it doesn't no but it's like you can learn experientially like you just did Mm -hmm. deep experience experiential learning (laughs) yeah yeah. Yeah. So yeah, dude, I that was that was the forty days. <laughs> this is the first conversation I've had and it feels <laughs> dude, so it feels good. good. <laughs> it feels so Holy good. shit, man, that was wow. Um yeah, I feel blessed to be the first person that you're able to that you were able to integrate and converse with and connect and commune because that is the thing. We are communal beings. We are, our purpose is to connect with ourselves, with the other, with the planet in harmony and grace. Mm -hmm. It's the unity in diversity that makes the oneness actually enjoyable. Right? Because I could find the peace and the bliss and, the moments alone, but eventually I came to a point where I was like, I don't want to share this with someone. This is meant to be shared and it's meant to be reflected and, and right. There's something really precious about just being listened to. And I feel like we're, we're because of our scars and our habits, we're very rarely really listening, right? Part of our body is cut off and stuck in the past and is not, or part of our mind is thinking about something else or what's yeah. in it or how I'm going to respond to you, which is really a reaction to what you said <laughs> based on what I already know, right? How do I really tune myself to listen to you as life? And how do I put every cell in my body and every little antenna pointed at your direction so that we can download something meaningful together 
and have an experience that's beyond mine or your perception as individuals. And I think that's what, that's what, that's the relatedness of yoga. That's the yoga as an interpersonal spiritual practice. And what I said a a while ago, how we, we underestimate the power, the spiritual power of relationship and how relating is the mirror for us to see like me having this conversation with you right now and you listening so attentively has allowed me to actually see, do I know what I'm talking about or is this <laughs> shit just made up? <laughs> and, and based on your energy, I can use you as the mirror to be like, okay, this is actually helpful. Yeah. Now, now the putting it to the test is like, if I share these ideas with more and more people and listen, listen to the feedback that consciousness gives me through them. Right. And that, that helps us refine. Cause I don't, I'm not, I cannot pretend to be the creator or the, the person who is coming up with this. These are just discoveries that anybody can make. I believe, I believe that there, it, there's a scientific process to understanding the nature of reality and understanding how consciousness has formed itself into you. And there's a, there's a scientific process of becoming and belonging and evolution and all these things that we talked about. I believe it's all directly perceivable evidence that if we go and we do that, that work ourselves, we, we can conclude and that there's people who've gone before us and have been like, Hey, here's the idea that I think works. You have to verify it now. And based on, like, this is what I experienced with the, the teachers that I had referred to that I, you know, view as really proficient spiritual practitioners. When I met them, I just felt like there's truth in this. There's an energy. There's a pro, There's something alive. It's a palpable here. sense. Yeah. And when they, te- when they delivered an idea to me, I would be like, okay, that's a great idea. But I knew that it was ultimately up to me to vet it out. Mm. Right. And I, I'm just like when we hear truth and we nod our heads. Yeah. It's like, it wasn't anybody's. It was just revealed to us in that moment. And it, like when you hear truth, you just go, ah, yeah. The truth will always be the truth. Yeah. You just know it. You don't, it's not like, it's not like it's something new. Right. But the way that we create a, a new understanding and how to interact with it is like, that's what we come up with together. And so it's like, Hey, here I am sharing these ideas with you and your podcast audience and anybody listening. And it's like, but who knows if this shit's going to work and last, you know, like we have to put it all to the test. And and that's why I'm, I just continue to dedicate my life to just putting it on the table. You know, it's why I write. It's why I share what I share. And it's why I really am determined to build this community because I'm like, these are the practices that have worked for me. These, this is why, this is why I think this is the way it is, but I'm open to possibilities. Like something I, I kept saying in my final prayers of my practice was like, I'm open to the higher possibilities of life. I'm open to the higher possibilities of life. Cause there's many people out there who know more about this stuff than I do, who have done practices like this for much longer periods of time. And and I feel like they all have, I mean, I feel like we're all just part of a, of a living organism of consciousness that's like providing perspectives and is like offering suggestions and, and to create a coherent group of, of, 
a global community of people who are like really examining the spiritual, whatever the spiritual realm with an interest, I feel like is that's the future that we're looking at. And I, and I, I see pockets of communities and people and sincere practice practitioners emerging all over because we're starting to really understand that this is an internal crisis. We're starting to see that and we're starting to admit that to ourselves. We witness all of the, uh, the pathology from that from that crisis manifesting yeah. within our world. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's yeah. more anxiety, more depression, more disconnect, more oppression. You name it. War, greed, envy, jealousy. Just, it, is a, it is a spiritual crisis. Definitely. Definitely. And we need to remember. We need to remember. We need to stop forgetting, man. <laughs> <laughs> to stop forgetting but yeah I, I, I feel like that uh, I don't know how long we've been talking but I could, I could probably keep talking and I mean go through more stuff know. is there any questions that you have about so you you did say that you felt like you took it a little too far mm-hmm. or you perhaps went overboard a little bit what what caused that feeling or what what was that about Maybe, maybe how did that manifest? How did that manifest? Yeah. Well, like I said, around week four, when I sat on that full moon for three hours and I had that just intense existential despair arise, um, at that moment in time, I was doing, I was doing two practices back to back in the morning. I was practicing before breakfast midday and two practices again in the evening. Um, and I just started and it built over time. Like I didn't jump to that obviously, but I started to feel agitation, Mm. just like a subtle feeling pissed. (laughs) And I'm thinking, I'm like, why am I pissed? What do I have to be pissed about? <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was waking up a few times in the night, three or four times in the night. Uh, so those are just a few of the symptoms of overdoing. Like t- like time length or just the amount of practicing? Like time length being 40 days being gone or or just the amount of intensity of the practice? I think it was the intensity of the practice. If I would have... If I would have been less intense with my practices because when I would do my asanas I would uh, like at one point when I was practicing more asana in it with higher intensity I could feel and hear this is crazy I could hear fascia in my body ripping like like almost like a bubble wrap mm. and it especially was happening around my my head and my cheeks and my jaw because I have like this misalignment right up here in my cervical into my head mm-hmm. and so I was I could hear like these subtle movements in like my scalp fascia and like because it's right next to my ear you know and I could yeah. hear like velcro oh, yeah. going yeah <laughs> I can feel that when I yeah stretch my jaw yeah so I was like and I was you know I would 
because I was doing so much energy work in terms of the Kriyas, um, I could feel so much energy in my body and I could distribute so much force inside of a closed container. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like I I could like distribute the force within your, your container without losing it through like a a leaking vector. You know, Mm -hmm. like if I didn't have an alignment in a certain way, then that energy would escape and then there would Mm -hmm. be less in that container. But I was holding so much in my container and I would, I would get to like the plate, the moment of my practice where I would sit and I would feel like this, like a shaking, like a vibration on a very microscopic level that I could hear in my ears. Like I could hear this high pitched humming and we can hear it all the time, but it was like really amplified and I felt like my head would just pop off sometimes. I was like, dang, my, you know, I would sit and my spine would just be like, like a rod and it felt like my head was just going to pop. So, and I, and I definitely learned I learn this every time I do a retreat because I've been on maybe a dozen or more retreats, but never for 40 days and never in complete solitude like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I've been on various solo retreats, but I've been still interacting here and there with the world. Um, I've been on various group retreats, Vipassana. But in this case, oh, like I was saying, I, I definitely learned and continue to learn over and over and over again the levels of overdoing it, the levels of forcing it, the levels of going too hard. Um, and I feel like those, each time I go through that process, it's like a more refined level of compassion for myself and a more refined level of softening. Cause I always end up like learning through that and like breaking through the other end and then realizing it's way simpler than we're making it be. It's way easier than we're making it be. And you don't have to struggle. You don't have to fight yourself. It's really, like I said, spinal breathing. Sit on your butt, inhale up, exhale down. (laughs) Don't make it harder than that. (laughs) And then sit for a few minutes after that and just be aware of yourself. Like you don't need to do 20 breath of fire and hold and squeeze mula munda. And, you know, these things are just fanciful techniques that make us feel like we're we're doing doing something something. yeah exactly you know it's we're so enamored by sexiness and we are newness you know that that would simplify 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 because that's what that's what the practice is simplicity is hard it's the hardest it is the hardest it's the hardest it's the most powerful for sure what are you excited for most right now? <laughs> avocado next? toast. <laughs> Let's go eat some avocado toast. <laughs> All right. We're over and out. Is that it? Yeah. <laughs> do, you have any, do you have anything else? Any, any last words for, for the community or for anybody? Oh, man. I mean, you said a lot. You said a lot. So. <laughs> I would say you said it. Simplify and relax. And, you know, just... There's no rush. Yeah. Relax into it. And there's no rush. There's like, no rush. There's really Fuck. not. We're going to rush all there. the fucking time. Me too. We'll I get feel there. myself rushing. We'll cleaning. get there. I would clean my, my bowl. I had no, I had a, <laughs> a bathroom sink to do my dishes in because there's no kitchen. Yeah, yeah. Spot. So I cooked all my meals in a crock pot and I, Oh shit. And, uh, 
it's so funny. I would be like rushing, <laughs> cleaning the dish. And I'm just thinking like, what am I hurrying towards? <laughs> you know? like, I got time. I better <laughs> lengthen what, this out. What am I in a rush for? My gosh, man. Can't you just chill? Slow the fuck down. <laughs> yeah. So that's my key advice. Just don't rush. Cause when you, when you're not rushing and you realize that like, we're going to be here for a long, long time. And that shouldn't scare us. That actually should be really an empowering and enjoyable realization. Because when we think of eternity, we think of linear time. But it's not linear time. When you just relax and you're in the moment and you lose track of time doing something you love, was there somewhere to get when you were doing that? No, that's the magic of life. That is what we're here for. Yeah. That is the number one question I ask people when I'm working with them. It's like, what do you do when you lose track of time? Mm. Because that's when you are being. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's... Yeah, if we just relax and lose track of time being, right? Because then the future manifests through us in the way that it's supposed to. We don't have to force it. We don't have to overcomplicate. No. It can be in, in symbiotic relation. We can participate in creation. Without having to struggle and strive. Yeah. Oh, brother. I love you. I love you <laughs> Jesus oh. Christ. That was, that was a blast. All right. We're over now. If you made it through this two-hour special with my buddy Grant and enjoyed the podcast, please... Go to the uh, the iTunes um, or the Apple Podcast app and leave me a review, a couple words, nothing too crazy. Um, it just helps me with this show. You know, I'm just getting started, so it would mean so much to me. I read every review, and um, it just butters my biscuit, as they say. <laughs> I love you guys. Thank you so much.